Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, it is a lot of happiness here today because the Atlanta Hawks have advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals. They beat the 76ers in round two in seven games, so we'll touch on that in just a minute. We'll also talk about the Atlanta Braves as they continue to be just a frustrating and weird baseball team, but I'm not even going to start talking about them. I don't even feel like thinking about them right now because I just want to talk about the Hawks, baby, the Hawks. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. All right, so we're going to take it from the top. I'm going to kind of breeze through um, all the games earlier in the week because I really just want to talk about game seven, honestly. So we'll start off with game four. Um, just a brief uh, rundown of what happened in game four. That was Monday, the first game of the week. I was actually in attendance for this one. A uh, very raucous environment at State Farm Arena. And um, things weren't looking too hot for the Hawks um, early in this game. The Sixers had some big leads. They led by as many as 18. Um, you know, just a pretty rough, rough game for the Hawks in game four. Very similar to games two and three of them, just kind of getting beat up early by Philadelphia. Uh, things were looking pretty bleak early. But the Hawks come storming back. They come down from 18 points. And they take game four at home to tie the series at two. Um, run down some box score stuff real quick. Trey Young, you know, had, had kind of struggled in this game, but he found his groove. He ends up with 25 points and 18 assists, which ties his career high, uh, not even just for the playoffs, for his entire career, including the regular season. John Collins, 14 and 12. Capella, 12 and 13. Uh, 22 for Bogdan and 10 for Herter as he get the start in this one. Uh, I believe that was his first start of the series, actually, because they were starting um, Solomon Hill in place of DeAndre Hunter because he was out of his torn meniscus, but Kevin Herter been playing so well with the bench, he forced McMillan's hand to start him, and that's when he started making the starting lineup was in Game 4. And then we go to Game 5, which was a doozy, an absolute doozy of a game. Um, another game where the Hawks go down big early, uh, but they end up trailing 18 to 11 at the end. At that, the first time out was 7:15 left in the first quarter. Um, there's a hot start offensively for both of these teams. Uh, Hawks trailed by 14 after the first quarter, and they trailed by 22 at the half. And they end up tra- um, trailing by as many as 26 in the first half, and they end up trailing by as many as 26 in the second half. But the Hawks storm back into this game and they steal game five 109 to 106 just an all-time collapse by the 76ers and a great comeback for the Hawks like I said they trailed by as many as 26 points um, huge 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 contribution from Lou Williams off the bench he was awesome 15 points in 23 minutes on 7 of 11 shooting he was plus 31 in 15 and um in uh, 23 minutes with 15 points. So it's insane stuff from him. Uh, Trey Young had 39 points and seven assists, which was his playoff career high in points. Uh, so really good game from him. Uh, Collins had 19. Didn't get nothing from Kevin Herter in this game. He was awful, didn't make a shot. Zero points, minus 23. That was worse than the team. But yeah, the, the bench was really huge this game. Gallinari had 16 points. He was plus 13. And like I said, Lou Williams, just absolutely incredible off the bench in game five. So a huge, huge win. 
put the Hawks up 3-2, to two, heading to Atlanta with a chance to clinch the series in Game 6, but they could not get it done. They dropped it 104-99. to 99. The Hawks led pretty early in this game. They led after the first quarter by 7, 29-22. They led at halftime. They definitely had their chance in this game because uh, they are playing some really good defense, but the offense betrayed them at times, and they couldn't get some buckets when they needed to. So they dropped this one by 5 points. Trey had 34 points and 12 assists. He was really good. Uh, Herter had 17. Gallinari was 16 off the bench. Lou Williams had a great game five, but didn't have it in game six. He had zero points, 0-5 shooting in just 11 minutes. And yeah, just uh, the offense really just kind of let him down at times in game six. So that will lead us into game seven back in Philly, and that is where we're going to get really into depth here because it is the most relevant game out of all the games that happened this week. Everybody kind of knows what happens earlier in the week. But I just want to get into game seven, the winner take all. Um, Hawks first game seven since 2014. Uh, so this is the biggest game for the Hawks since uh, they had the huge 60-win season where they're the first overall seed. Uh, they've already had many games that were just as big as those this season, but this was the biggest of them all uh, with a chance to the chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals on the line. So we'll hop right into it right now. Um, big news to start the start um, before starting the game was that Bogdan was going to play. Uh, in, in Game 6, he did hurt his knee and missed the entire fourth quarter. He was ruled out for the entire fourth quarter of Game 6 because um, he, he had a knee strain. But um, it was announced right before the game that he would start and play. So uh, good news for the Hawks there that uh, they got Bogdan in there. Um, he wasn't he wasn't great in this game. He was his normal self, obviously, but it was just good for him to be out there, really. We'll get more into his individual performance later. Uh, but now we'll get started with the game. Uh, the Hawks start hot early with seven points in their first three possessions. Um, and a lot of that was spearheaded by Kevin Herter. Um, he had nine points in the early early opening minutes of this game. Um, and then out of the that, that really just uh, summed up the start of the game. Hawks had a pretty hot start, but Philadelphia did kind of catch up a little bit, um, leading to the first timeout. And uh, the first subs came in for both teams at the timeout, and that's when they brought in Gallinari for Bogdanovich. Um, it's pretty clear that Bogey was going to be limited a little bit in this game with that knee, so they go Gallinari for him pretty early. And uh, then the Sixers go Tyrese Maxey for Seth Curry, who had uh, two early fouls. And then Doc Rivers also goes elects to go with Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard, which the Hawks uh, need to take advantage of, and they didn't really do that. Uh, that's just a favorable lineup for Atlanta. And um, the lineups in this game, really, McMillan's been doing it too. Um, I'll get into how many of what, how, what the bench units look like in a little bit for both teams, but this was like the first um, glaring sign of just the bad uh, – the bad lineups from both coaches, but especially Doc Rivers. You cannot go Ben and Dwight in Game 7. Um, hit Doc Rivers benching, he's gone full bench many times in this series, and just, just still doing it to some degree in Game 7 is pretty bizarre. Uh, McMillan had some questionable bench stuff too, like Solomon Hill got in this game, which, uh, you know, it's kind of a head-scratcher, honestly. But um, didn't come back. didn't come back to bite the Hawks, but we'll get more into that later. Um, MB does check back in for Philly with uh, after just two and a half minutes of rest. Uh, it was uh, noted by some people that cover the Sixers on Twitter that that is just not his that has not been a schedule for him at all, at any point all year. So um, pretty clear that they're just trying to rush MB back out there because they needed him as much as they could. 
comes back in the game and he actually misses two free throws uh, pretty early since he got back in the game. So um, that was uh, pretty pretty big for the Hawks. But he does hit a uh, layup to end the first quarter um, in the final seconds and that puts the Sixers up by three, 28 to 25. And the two big um, stories for Atlanta in the first quarter was that Trey Young was pretty, pretty bad. He goes 0 for 6 in the first quarter. Didn't make a shot. Hit some free throws, but didn't make a field goal in the first. But um, John Collins and Kevin Herter really saved him. Uh, they combined for a 7 of 8 shooting and 15 points in the first quarter. So, yeah, 15 of the 25 points from J.C. and Herter, really big. And um, they'll lead us into the second quarter, which the Hawks start off the second quarter without Trey Young on the floor, and they go on a run without him on the floor to start the second. Uh, they score the first eight points of the quarter, like I said, with Trey on the bench, and that prompts a timeout from Doc Rivers right after the run. So pretty huge that the Hawks are like not even just surviving at this point with Trey Young going 0 for 6 and on the bench, but they are going on an 8-0 run to start the second and going up by 5. Um, it's pretty pretty bizarre what was happening. It was said many times throughout this game. It's like, man, I mean, Trey's shooting doesn't really get any better. Um, he does come around in the fourth quarter in the second half a bit, but his overall shooting numbers aren't great. But it was pointed out many times about this game. It's like, man, Trey's 0 for 6, Trey's 1 for 12, and the Hawks are winning. Like, what is happening? So, you know, Trey, did, Trey had his worst game of the playoffs. Um, and we'll get more into his individual stuff later. But he was rough, and the Hawks still got it done. So, yeah, it, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty uh, crazy how things just played on this game. Not how anybody expected it, I'd say. If you told me that the Hawks were going to win and Trey Young wasn't uh, the, the key factor, I wouldn't have believed you. But um, it was somebody else. It was Kevin Herter is who it was. Um, Gallinari, he had a very rocky, like a roller coaster start to this game. He was, he had some bad possessions, some bad shots. But then he was out. He had a few threes to kind of get him um, in a groove. He ended up having a pretty solid game overall. But a, a bumpy start to say the least to start the game for Gallinari. But he did have some shots to settle in. Um, Trey re-enters the game and he hits a three immediately. So that was his first field goal of the game. He hit a three, so everybody's thinking, okay, well maybe that'll get him going. That'll get him going. Um, he he actually do he does get teed up uh, a little bit after this, after uh, Simmons fouled him as Trey was heading towards the the sidelines to call a timeout, and uh, Simmons just kind of went up and just made it like a dumb player. Honestly, he it was a reach and foul, trying to strip the ball away from Trey, but the refs called it on the floor. And then they went back and took it off because they said that Trey had called a timeout before before the foul happened. So the foul was nullified, and Trey was uh, pretty upset about it. He uh, slammed the ball on the ground in front of the ref, and that's what got him teed up. Uh, so, yeah, the officiating in this first half especially was just really bad, and it wasn't like they were favoring one side. It was just rough all around, uh, missing calls, just t like the, taking this call off the board, making calls that shouldn't have been made, just some bad officiating. Uh, not what you want to see, especially in a game seven. So, yeah, that's that's not great for either side, honestly. Um, the Hawks had a way with some stuff, too, that uh, helped us against Philadelphia. Uh, this was followed by some more big points from uh, John Collins and Kevin Herter. Like I said, I'm going to repeat it. They've been awesome in, in this game. Um, and then Akongwu gets some big minutes to end the half, and he does a great job of defending Embiid. Um, Akongu was awesome in this game. I thought he was awesome in game five, too. 
uh, defending Embiid. I actually, I actually thought um, with the way Capella struggled back in Game 5 early on against Embiid when Embiid was just going crazy, that maybe they just elect to keep a Kongu on him. But um, McMillan didn't do that. I didn't think he would. It was just a thought that crossed my mind to maybe just put um, a Kongu on him. But I still think they want Capella out there for offensive purposes. And um, Capella is a better rebounder than a Kongu. But a Kongu's defense on Embiid in these final few games has been very impressive. I've been very impressed with a Kongu. He ended up getting big minutes in this game. He had the most minutes of any game in the playoffs here in Game 7. So I'm really impressed by him and his defense. And um, just getting really excited for him as a prospect. He, he, he's looked really good in uh, the small sample that he's played in these playoffs, which is a really good sign to see. Um, that would take us to the half, and the Hawks have the lead at the half. So they had the big run to start the second quarter, uh, led, by as, led by as many as six, I believe, and uh, they lead by two at the half, 48-46. to 46. Uh, Not a very uh, smooth first half, not very uh, good basketball to watch, honestly. It was a close game, so it's obviously going to be uh, somewhat good to watch, a uh, close game seven. But, yeah, just the there was no flow to this game. And part of that was the officiating with uh, – just some of the fouls are being called, and just sloppy play by both teams, honestly, too. Uh, but, yeah, just no flow to this game. It was kind of tough to watch, but Hawks do have the lead nonetheless heading into the break. So we'll get into some halftime numbers because I thought they were pretty interesting. So I'll go ahead and um, read off some of the Hawks and some of the Sixers numbers, just some themes of the first half. Um, we'll start with Trey Young. He was 0 for 6 from the field in the first quarter. And it doesn't get much better. He hit that three, like I said, coming out um, of his rest. But that was the only shot he would hit in the first half. He went 1 for 12 for field goals in the first half and 1 of 7 for 3. Ends up with 9 points because he did get to the free throw line. Excuse me real quick. <coughs> oh, man. Sorry about that. Um, ends up with 9 points because he did hit 6 free throws. So he was overall minus 3 in the first half and the Hawks were leading. So, yeah, just um, some more important stuff coming out of that. Um, now moving to Herter and Collins, who were the two main factors in the first half for the Hawks, especially Kevin Herter. He was awesome. Um, he had 12 points on 5 of 8 shooting, 2 of 2 from 3. He already had 3 rebounds, played really good defense. Uh, he was plus 9, um, biggest on the team, best on the team, rather. Um, the only other guys that were plus were uh, Solomon Hill, Akonwu, and Gallinari off the bench. And Solomon Hill barely played he played four minutes at the end of the at the end of the second quarter which i thought the lineups in this game were just so weird and i'm um, just really funny honestly comparing um watching the bucks and nets game seven of how budenholzer and steve nash were deploying their lineups and just how little the bench was involved in those games and just seeing how much the bench is involved in these games it's just kind of jarring to see um especially with the 76 or so we'll get into some of their stuff right now i mean beat had 15 in the first half, he was solid. Um, he didn't kill the Hawks like he has in the past, but he was still solid. He was 5 of 8 with 15.6 rebounds. Um, Tobias Harris, he had a lot of points in this game. I think he finished with like around like 24 points, but he was more of a negative than a positive in my opinion. In the first half, he had 10 points and 3 of 10 shooting, so not great. Um, he missed just a lot of just point-blank layups in this game throughout. So, I, yeah, I thought he was really rough. And then you had Dwight Howard, who... I think he's just been so bad this entire series. He's been helping out the Hawks so much, um, especially when you can throw a Kongu on him. And I mean, like I said, a Kongu is doing a good job of him, him covering Embiid. 
he's he's been outplaying Dwight Howard thoroughly throughout this entire series. Dwight Howard has been absolutely awful, or he was absolutely awful because they're in Cancun right now. But yeah, just horrible stuff from Dwight Howard. He's been really bad. And Tobias Harris, pretty rough too. He missed a lot of just point blank layups that I was. When he goes up to put him, I was like, oh, that's two, and it just didn't fall in, and um, I really appreciated it. Um, so that'll, um, that'll bring us into the second half. Uh, one more thing I should note about the first half is the turnover margin, which is important um, in the overall game result, too. Uh, Hawks only turned the ball over four times, Sixers ten times. So that was pretty important uh, because the Sixers did shoot better from the field in the first half than the Hawks, and they're still down. Uh, they got more shots up, too, and, yeah, that's important. Uh, they actually didn't get more shots up. I was wrong about that. Um, but it's important. The, the turnover differential was quite important in this game. We'll get more into that later. And we'll start off with the third quarter. And it didn't start off great for Atlanta. The the Sixers start off on a 5-0 run to start. Uh, they go up by three. Uh, but Kevin Herter does have an and one to get the Hawks on the board. He just continued to be awesome. Um, Trey was still struggling, but he makes it up with a with three great feeds to Capella. Uh, two of them were lobs that Capella slammed down, and one of them was just a skip pass that uh, uh, Capella grabbed and put up for a dunk. So uh, three quick assists, honestly, within like two minutes to young to Capella. Um, I'll say this about Trey. He, he really did struggle shooting in this game, but this this stretches of the, of the third quarter of him just going on a passing mirage really helped the team and really just made up for his lack of shooting in this game. Um, so yeah, he he was awesome passing the ball in the third quarter, especially, and he does kind of make up. He makes up for shooting with some big shots later on in this game that I'll get to later. Um, Kevin Herter just continued to hit more shots in my in my notes. I didn't even say what he did. I just said Herter nails, and I guess that's the only way you can describe it in this game. He was awesome. Um, then there's a pretty big swing here in the third. Uh, Dwight Howard gets called for a flagrant foul on John Collins. They actually went to review it, and. Um, it was just called a common foul on the floor, but they went and upgraded to a flagrant one. So a, a break for the Hawks here and uh, ends up being a very, very fruitful possession because Collins makes both the free throws um, on on the flagrant shots, and the Hawks get the ball, and then Gallo hits a kind of weird um, bank shot from about the free throw line. So it, it turns out being a four-point possession for the Hawks, and it puts them up three. So they go, they go from being down one to up three in um, one possession, thanks to Dwight Howard just being awful. So we appreciate that, Dwight. You're a Hawks legend. Um, Hawks that puts the Hawks up by three. They end the third on a 12 to six run, and uh, they lead 76 to 71 heading into the fourth. Um, another thing I noted about the turnovers so far through three quarters in this game, the Hawks had seven turnovers total, and um, Joel Embiid had six. So Embiid almost having as many turnovers as the entire Hawks team through three quarters of this game. Um, so yeah. Take that, do with that what you will. Um, we'll head to the fourth now, and the Hawks have to a rough start in the, in the fourth as well, just like the third. Um, and B goes on a 5-0 personal run to tie the game, which um, props the Hawks' timeout immediately. Um, it was a 12-1 run total to start the fourth for Philadelphia. Um, but it honestly could have been worse uh, because the Hawks had nothing going on offense. Their one point was a Kevin Herter free throw. Uh, they only had like one point within the first three, four minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, but Philadelphia wasn't awesome on offense either. You know, they they struggled too, and that really just kind of kept the Hawks from kept this from being a disaster, honestly, for the Hawks. I know twelve to one run is not good, but it could have been worse. It really could have been worse. 
Um, so, yeah, Hawks only down by six after the big run. Um, but the Hawks do end up coming back to tie the game at 84 with 549 left in the game, which uh, prompts a timeout for Doc Rivers. Um, so, yeah, Hawks, they had Philadelphia had the big run to start, but the Hawks do come back, tie the game, 84. And um, you got a pretty much a whole, you got a fresh ball game, about five minutes left, game is tied. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, pretty, this is probably like the most, going to be the most popular highlight of the entire game, honestly. I mean, it was Ben Simmons had a wide open dunk. Uh, Trey Young was coming in to just kind of like uh, get in the get in his way a little bit. But if Trey got there too late, um, Simmons just could have slammed it home. But he then elects to th- throw the ball to um, Matisse Thibel. And then Thibel goes up for a shot. He gets fouled, which was a questionable foul cause it was. Um, so he goes to the line. He makes one shot, and he misses the other. So it ends up being a, a positive for the Hawks as they had, the Sixers had a free two points but only leave the possession with one point on the free throw. But um, I saw I watched Simmons' press conference after the game, and he said that he thought Gallinari was going to come up from behind him and swat him. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I honestly kind of feel bad for the dude. He's, he sits in his head bad. He can't, he can't shoot the ball. And it's not even shooting the ball. It was a dunk attempt. He can't put. He's scared to put the ball up towards the basket, and it's, yeah, it's it's rough to watch. It's been a rough watch all series. But like I'm saying, that's probably gonna be the biggest highlight of the, the the whole game, game seven, because it was just pretty jarring to watch him just give up that dunk attempt. It was just really weird. Um, so, uh, the Hawks do end up going up by three on another young to Capella lob, uh, which prompts another Philly timeout. And then um, Trey hits a huge three out of that timeout to go up by six. So, like I said, Trey struggled um, overall in this game. Yes, he did. He had a bad game, probably his worst game of the entire playoffs, honestly. But some big passes in the third and fourth quarter and some huge shots just really made up for it. And that's just kind of a mark of a superstar, really. Um, you know, having a rough game throughout, but still coming through in the second half for your team, just with big plays, big passes, and big points, um, just – just huge stuff from Trey in the fourth quarter. He was really important in the fourth quarter, despite being just really out of it for the first three quarters shooting the ball, really. So, like I said, a huge shot by Trey right there. Um, and then Kevin Herter ends up getting fouled on a three-point shot by Matisse Thibel, which was a really bad foul by Thibel. Um, Herter hits all three. So, another big three-point play for the Hawks. And then... Um, we go back, the, the Sixers go back down the floor, and Gallinari steals the ball from Embiid. Um, Herter picks up the steal. Gallo is down the court. He hits him on an outlet pass, and Gallo slams it home to put the Hawks up by six points with 41 seconds left. Um, you know, And hindsight's 20-20. Now looking back on that was the dagger of the game. Um, you know, being up by six with 41 seconds isn't a for-sure win by any means, but that was like the, oh, wow, this game might be over. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't over at the time. Hawks had to shoot some free throws, which they did. They made the free throws that they need to make to close this thing out, and that's exactly what they did. They ended up winning the game by seven, uh, one hundred three to ninety six. Spit in my mouth. Let's go, Hawks. We're headed to the Eastern Conference Finals, facing the Milwaukee Bucks, and I'll get into some little preview stuff with the Bucks here in a minute. But um, I just want to go over some overall takeaways from Game Seven. Um, I've mentioned this a few times already. The turnover battle. The Hawks won decisively. Uh, they only had 10 turnovers. Philadelphia had 17, and eight of them were from Embiid. Embiid had eight turnovers in Game 6 as well, so that's 16 turnovers 
by Embiid in Game 6 and 7 of this series. So just really rough stuff from him. He had been awesome on series, but um, if there's been like one um, flaw of his play in this series is that he has been turning the ball over quite a bit. Um, and and his um, 0 for 12 shooting in uh, Game 4, or Game 5, Game five or no game four game four yeah game four, uh yeah those are pretty his two big hiccups in the series, where this turnovers and his over twelve shooting, um the Hawks played really good defense in game six and um I thought to myself that if the Hawks could replicate that performance that they would win game seven and they did the Hawks played just as good defense um in game seven as they did in game six uh, they also had some help from Tobias Harris like I said missing just point blank shots and Dwight Howard just being incompetent but still credit to the Hawks they played really good defense. Um, here in Game 7. The last two games, really solid defense. Um, you know, Embiid still got his buckets, but Embiid didn't kill them. So that's just really what you got to play for. You got He's going to get he's gonna get his shots up, and he's going to get his points, but you just, just can't let him kill you. They were doing that earlier in the series in Games 2 and 3. That Embiid was just killing them. They couldn't do nothing about it, but they made the adjustments. Um, you know, they put a Kongu on him a little bit more. Capella improved throughout the series, I think, of um, guarding Embiid. So, yeah, just good defense for the Hawks in the past few games after having some rough defensive performances earlier in the series. Really encouraging to see. Um, and that's really all the takeaways I have from the Game 7 itself. Um, just a massive win for the Hawks. Um, don't really need to be saying that's pretty obvious. But I want to go um, and uh, talk about the season as a whole of just how things have flipped on their head, honestly. Um, of how incredible that it is that the Hawks are in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and in this series, too, it's incredible that they won this series without DeAndre Hunter. Um, he is a huge part of this team, especially defensively. Um, you know, they miss him defensively at times huge on the perimeter, um, but they, they still got down without DeAndre Hunter. They're not going to have him in the next series, but getting this getting through this series without Hunter is huge. I mean, it's very impressive, too. I um, mean, some guys had to step up on defense, and that happened. Kevin Herter played great perimeter defense, so credit to him. Solomon Hill had his time in um, playing defense, so really solid for him, too. And, uh, yeah, just the def- the defense was a really, really a big part of these last two games. And, um, and I'm going to talk about just how bad the Hawks were <laughs> um, at, at one point this year when they fired Lloyd Pierce. On March 5th, or no, March 1st, rather, the Hawks were 14-21. and 21. Um, that was the day that Lloyd Pierce got fired, and they uh, appointed Nate McMillan as the interim head coach. So, yeah, they've just been awesome ever since that um, McMillan took over. They were tied for – they're at least tied for first in the Eastern Conference in about every category, uh, record, um, fourth-quarter point differential, but like all kind of stuff. They've just been an awesome team since McMillan took it over. They were one of the best teams in the league. Um, another crazy, just weird stat about uh, – the Hawks making the conference finals. They're the first team to make the conference finals without an all-star since the 1994 Pacers, um, which that team had Reggie Miller on it. I guess he didn't make the all-star team that year, obviously. But um, this is it's it's an interesting stat, but it's also like a little bit uh, not it's it is true, but it's also not true because Trey Young is he didn't make the all-star team this year, but he's an all-star caliber player. Um, he is a star level player. He has shown that in these playoffs. So the Hawks do have that. Um, you know, this Hawks team has more star power than the Hawks team of 2015 that made the Eastern Conference Finals, which was the only two Atlanta Hawks teams to ever make the Conference Finals. And even though that team had um, five All-Stars, I believe, four or five All-Stars, this team has more star power with uh, Trey Young. 
I'm sorry, Paul Millsap and Al Horford, uh, Jeff Teague, I love you guys, but this team just has they they have more um, star power than y'all, and it's it's because of Trey Young. He's he's a superstar in this league, and he's gonna be very good for a very long time. And it's been really fun to see just kind of you know everyone in Atlanta knew how good Trey Young was, but Hawks don't get a super lot of co- a, a lot of coverage nationally. And um, since they've been getting on these national TV games in the playoffs, and Trey Young's been balling out. Everyone's just been it's kind of been like his coming out party on the national stage, which is um, awesome, awesome to see. Uh, so, yeah. Um, another thing from Game 7, I just want to give Kevin Herter a little bit more praise. Um, this was the Kevin Herter game um, in every sense, really. He had 27 points on 10 of 18 shooting, uh, played in 40 minutes. Um, his plus minus it was plus 8, which was um, best on the team, only second to a Kongwu, who was plus 9. So Nick Kongwu with the best plus minus on the entire Hawks team in his 16 minutes. He only had one point, but he was awesome on defense, so that really played into that. 27 for him. Um, John Collins had 14 points and 16 rebounds. He was plus 7, so he was awesome. Um, Trey finishes with 21 and 10 and plus 7. Um, 5 of 23 shooting and 2 of 11 from 3. Not great, but like I said, big shots and big passes in the second half really made up for his lackluster shooting performance. Um Embiid had 31, but was minus 2, 11 rebounds, um, played in 41 minutes. Uh, Tobias Harris, he played in 45 minutes and had 24 points. But like I said, he missed. A, he could have had he could have had 30 easily if he just made some easy shots, which really helped the Hawks out. Um, he ended up being minus 6 in this game. Um, so, yeah. That's, um, that's really all I want to cover with the individual stuff from Game 7. Um, but we'll get into uh, a little bit of a preview with the Bucks. Um, game one is Wednesday against Milwaukee, um, and I think the Hawks have gotten the most. Uh, what? How can I say this? The most favorable matchup heading into Eastern Conference Finals, and they got the most favorable matchup of uh, who they had to play in the second round. Out of the top three teams in the East, which were the Sixers, the Nets, and the Bucks, um, heading into the series. The Hawks were pretty fortunate that the Sixers were the one seed and they got to play them because they're probably the weaker team out of the three. Um, obviously, the Nets had some injuries, which I'll get into in a second. Um, but, yeah, the Sixers were the weaker team out of the three, so I thought that the Hawks got lucky drawing them in the second round with them being the one seed. Um, but then in the in the Bucks and um, Nets series, you know, Harden was banged up. Kyrie got hurt and didn't play for the end of that series. Um, Harden did come back and play in the series, but he was he was still bound that hamstring injury, and the Nets lost. And if the Nets were at full strength, they're the best team in the league by far, and I think they would have won the finals running away. And that didn't happen, and the Bucks beat them. So I do think, um, I guess playing the banged-up Nets would maybe be better than playing a full-strength Bucks team. Um, but if you told me that uh, the Hawks were going to beat the Knicks, they would beat the Sixers, and they were playing the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. I would have taken it because whatever to do to avoid Kevin Durant and the Nets, I would have done. So I'm I'm fine with the Hawks playing Milwaukee. They played Milwaukee three times in the regular season. Um, they went one and two. Uh, they lost the first game against the Bucks, but Capella and Trey Young did not play. So big asterisks on that one. Um, you can't really judge that against the Hawks without those two guys in. Um, and then they split the next two. Um, DeAndre Hunter didn't play in either of those two games. I think that's noting because um, he's not going to be playing at all in this series. 
But um, yeah, uh, the second game was the one the Hawks won, and that was a game where Trey Young and Lou Williams just ran wild. Um, I remember that game back from in the regular season. Um, that was probably one of the most more memorable regular season games of the, of the season. So, yeah, that, that's how the Hawks fared against Milwaukee in the regular season. You can't really take too much away from it. Um, you know, these are two very different teams now, um, now that they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, really excited for it. And I think the Hawks can win this series. I really do. Um, they're not going to be favored by any means. Milwaukee's going to be the odds-on favorite to beat the Hawks and head to the Finals. But I think the Hawks, Hawks can do it. You know, I, I was had my had my uh, spec had my uh, speculations against um, heading into 70, the seventy sixer series with Embiid um, if he was going to play or not. And, the, and if you told me that Embiid played the way he did throughout the entire series, I thought the Hawks would lose. You know, Embiid was awesome for ninety percent of the series, and the Hawks won. So you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they defend this Bucks team, how they defend Giannis, who they put on Chris Middleton. Um, I'm assuming something like Kevin Herter on Middleton. Um, one thing that I think that is important that might end up happening that I'm kind of just holding my breath for and holding out hope is that Cam Reddish, hopefully he can return for this series. Um, you know, he's been out for a long time. It's, it's a, it would have been a tough ask to throw him in the middle of the 76ers series. But I think since there's a, there's a fresh start and a fresh series against Milwaukee, it's still a tough ask because it is the Eastern Conference Finals. But if they could get Hurt, or not Herter back, Reddish back, um, it'll be huge, especially on the defensive side of the ball, just to get one of your wings back, especially with Hunter being out for the year. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just really holding out hope for that. I really hope that that can happen and that Cam can get into these playoffs because it, it has sucked that he hasn't been able to be a part of this run um, um, with us because he's been banged up for a lot of the year. And I think that's going to do it for the Hawks talk. Just a huge, huge win. Goes without saying. Head to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um We'll have we'll we'll be talking about them a lot on next week's episode as they have some big games coming up against Milwaukee. But we will head to Atlanta Braves talk, which is uh, it's a mixed bag this week for sure. A mixed bag with this team. Um, they were off Monday, so say that off Monday. Then they had a two-game set with the Boston Red Sox, and um, they lost both games ten to eight. So the Braves scored. 16 runs in two games, and they lost both the games, which is uh, hard to do, hard to do, and that, that just takes a lot of bad pitching. Um, but the Braves, they hit in these games. Um, Ron Acuna went two for five in game one. Did strike out three times, but still went two for five, had two ribbies. Uh, Freddie had a hit, two RBIs. He also struck out three times, actually. So the Braves were getting punched out. They struck out 15 times in game one. Uh, Tucker Davidson got the start in this one, and he actually left early with um, a, a elbow problem. He got put on the 10-day IL. Um, everybody was scared that it might have been like a UCL, Tommy John-ish situation, but um, it turns out that it was not the case. He's on the 10-day IL, though, so he is hurt at the moment. Only goes two and a third innings. Uh, gives up five earned runs, two homers. So, yeah, uh, Tucker Davidson had been really good coming into this start, but uh, he had a bad one, and he got hurt, too, so I'm not going to really – Hold too much against him, giving a five run runs, you know, not 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 great. But no one no one was great for the Braves in this game. Um, Newcomb comes in, he he goes one and two thirds, no earned runs, so solid outing for Newcomb. Um, Edgar Santana though pitches two innings and gives up two earned runs. Um, you know his usage has been very controversial at times and very controversial in this game um, of just the bullpen usage and the, the usage of Edgar Santana in particular, has just been very head-scratching at times, especially in this game. Um, but, yeah, 
in both of these games, the Red Sox had two just back-breaking home runs. Um, Alex Verdugo hit one, a three-run shot in the eighth inning to put the – it was a tie game at the time, a 7-7. Seven to seven. He had a three-run home run to make it 10-7, to seven. Um, just a backbreaker. It was off of Chris Martin, who had just been really rough lately. Um, and then in game two, Christian Arroyo hit a pinch-hit grand slam in the seventh inning. That put that the Braves led at the time. The Braves the Braves fell behind in this game. Uh, they were they were down four to one at one point, and then they came back and took a seven to six lead, and then a pinch hit grand slam um, from Christian Arroyo off of AJ Mentor with two outs put them up ten to seven. Uh, the Braves did score one in the bottom of the ninth, make it ten to eight, but oh my God, just back to back games just back-breaking homers late in the games with the Braves, you know, either leading or the game being tied, but the game certainly being in hand. Um, you know, not really going to – I'm not going to fault Snicker on those because they had two of their high-leverage guys in, Mentor and Martin, um, but they had been rough this year. You know, Shane Green continued to be rough too in this one as he uh, took the loss in this one. He gave up three earned runs in just uh, two-thirds of an inning. So rough stuff from him. Uh, the Braves get swept in a two little two-game set against the Red Sox. Uh, they lose both games 10 to eight, which I don't know if that's ever happened. That's so weird. A two-game set, and you lose both games 10 to eight. It's just, it, it's a pretty pretty good uh, synopsis of the Braves' season of just losing these kind of games. Just back-breaking losses, bad pitching, um, yeah, blowing the lead late, bad bullpen, all that. All that's the 2021 Braves right there. But uh, quick turnaround, um, got a game on Thursday, a four-game set coming up with the St. Louis Cardinals. It's the first time that they faced the Cardinals since they faced off in the NLDS back in 2019. Um, and the Braves take game one of the series, four to nothing. So, you know, just bad pitching um, in the first in the first two games of the week against the Red Sox, give up 20 runs in two games, then you go and shut out the Cardinals. So that's encouraging. Um, Charlie Morton had flirted with a no-hitter in this game, actually. Um, he carried it into the seventh inning, I believe. So he went six no-hit innings. He ends up going seven and two-thirds, just three hits, no runs, none, no earned runs, no walks, seven punchies. So just big-time performance from Morton, one of his better performances of the year. Um, then go, they go Luke Jackson to Will Smith. And, uh, yep, Braves shut out the Cardinals in game one. And then in game two, they blow out the Cardinals. They win nine to one. Um, I didn't get to watch any of this game. Um, I was watching the Hawks, to be uh, to be quite frank with you. I didn't care about the Braves at all on Friday night, but they, they won. They won 9-1. to one. Um, Ozzy hit a homer. Big game from him. Freddie had two hits. Uh, solid outing from Max. He goes seven innings, one earned run, just two hits, two walks, and six punches. So back-to-back super good outings from Morton and Freed when the Braves really needed it. Um, Edgar Santana got some appropriate usage in this game. Um, in a blowout, just like you, like you want to see. Also, Jacob Webb did as well. Um, and the Braves only give up one run in the first two games. Um, and then on Saturday's game, gets rained out. So got pushed back to Sunday for a double header. Uh, and they do drop game one at a 9-1. to one. So, yeah, they, the Braves are weird. Uh, they win game two 9-1, to one, and they lose game three 9-1. to one. Only, only the Braves can do that. Um, Bryce Wilson got the start. He got called up for this one, and he was rough. Um, Adam Wainwright started for the Cardinals. He shoved. He was really good. Um, Braves only have three hits in the game. 
Uh, and there is some uh, snicker stuff I didn't talk about in this one. Um, they take out Bryce Wilson um, with the game with them only down by a run. Or down by two runs, rather. Down three to one. They take out Bryce Wilson with two men on and Paul Goldschmidt coming up to the plate. And they bring in Josh Tomlin, and he throws one pitch, and Paul Goldschmidt just obliterates it. And so with a fresh bullpen, only down two runs, you go with probably the last guy in your bullpen to face um, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. And the very next pitch, Nolan Arenado hit a double. So, yeah, that's that's how that went. Um, just really, really just head-scratching stuff. I don't understand. I really just don't. Um, so, yeah, rough outing for Bryce Wilson. He goes four innings pitch, five earned runs. Um, not good for him. And Tomlin, only one of those runs was charged to him because the two runners on before were charged to uh, Bryce Wilson. But, yeah, uh, not good stuff. Then they bring in Sean Newcomb, which it's fine to bring in Newcomb at this point because the game was just out of reach. He was bad. An inning pitch, gave up three earned runs, walked three. Which is just, I know it's just shocking out of Sean Newcomb to walk three batters. Um, but then probably more infuriating than bringing in Josh Tomlin to face Goldschmidt is that they bring in Tyler Matzik to work the seventh inning. Um, which he is one of the Braves' better relievers and is a high-leverage guy, and you bring him into the game when you're down 9-1. to one. In, a, in a situation where the Braves have a doubleheader on Sunday, this is a game with a doubleheader, they play later on Sunday night, and then on Monday they have another doubleheader in New York against the Mets. So four games in, 20, in 48 hours, you're down 9-1 to one in game one of the four, and you elect to use... You're one of your better relievers, Tyler Matzik. You burn him in game one, down 9-1. to one. After you don't use him, when you're down 3-1 to one and the game is in reach, but you use Josh Tomlin. What in the hell? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any – it doesn't even make close to a, a – close to a bit of sense. You know, I'm, I know I'm ranting, but, like, oh, my God. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense at all. It's so stupid. It's just the stupidest thing ever. Um, I guess the one thing is that Matzik, he breezed through the inning. He only threw, like, 10 pitches, I think. So, like, he, he like, it's not like he only went out there and, like, threw 30 pitches and he was done for, like, two days. But just, like, oh, my God, man. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's just so – it's just stupidity is what it is. Like, sometimes I don't think he knows what he's doing. Like, I just don't understand the thought process of not using Matzik when you're down two, game and reach, you need to get out of an inning. Use Josh Tomlin. It's like, all right, use Tomlin. That was stupid. Well, game's over now. Use your um, back-end guys of the bullpen for the rest of this one, guys that aren't really high-leverage guys. Nope, Tyler Matzik in the seventh inning. What are you doing? Okay, that's enough on that. We'll head to game two, the doubleheader. Um, and the Braves win one to nothing. Only run coming on Ronald Acuna's 100th career homer in the third inning. Um you know, he had his longest stretch of the season between homers, between his last one and this one. So he uh, he gets back in uh, back in the swing of it with a home run as his 19th of the year, and it gives him 100 on his career. He's the sixth fastest player in baseball history to 100 home runs in his 378th game. Um, only a few are faster. It's like Ryan Howard is the fastest. And Gary Sanchez, number two. Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo in there, too. But Ronald, sixth fastest in baseball history to 100 homers. So he's only 23 years old. 
He's going to hit a lot more homers. Um, he'd probably have a lot more. He'd probably have, he'd probably be um, approaching 150 right now if there was a full season last year. Um, but, you know, he only, he only played in like 45 games last year out of the 60-game season. And he had 14 home runs last year too. So Ronald would be approaching 150 homers right now if there was a full season. Maybe he'd be past it already. I don't even know. But the Braves win this game one nothing. Only run on the Acuna homer. Drew Smiley actually with a shove fest in this one. Five and two-thirds, only one hit. He was flirting with a no-hitter in this game, too. It would have been a, an asterisk-y no-hitter because it's seven game or a seven-inning seven game. But um, Smiley with one of his better outings of the year. Only one hit, did walk three, but five punchies, five and two-thirds. He was really good. Um, so good to see good to see um, some good starting pitching in this series, aside from Bryce Wilson, from Morton, Max, and Drew Smiley. Uh, then they, they go for Luke Jackson. Um, he only pitches a third of an inning because uh, Smiley goes five and two-thirds. Um, he gets out of a jam, a big jam. He gives up a, a, a hit, um, but he does. He gets a big strikeout to get out of the jam. And then uh, Will Smith, he comes in and slams the door. Good outing for him. Uh, two strikeouts in the save, and the Braves win one to nothing, and they take three out of four from the Cardinals. So, you know, just the Braves continue to just be really weird and streaky. They drop two just devastating losses to the Red Sox, and they turn around and Take two out, or not two out of three, three out of four from a Cardinals team who has been sputtering a bit lately, but they're still a good team, I think, on the whole. So taking three out of four uh, from a good team and uh, some good momentum heading into this week against the Mets. Like I said, they have a doubleheader on Monday um, in New York to make up some rained out games. Um, Jacob DeGrom is actually pitching in uh, game one of that doubleheader. It'll be the first time that the Braves have seen DeGrom on the year. So. We'll see how that fares. That game is today. Um, and then yeah, just a big four-game series against the Mets. They can make up some ground in the standings if they have a good series, or they can lose a ton of ground if they have a bad series. They're five games back at the moment. So if like if the Braves go out and sweep, they are right in the thick of it. Like They are in the, the top two threatening the Mets for the number one spot. I'm not going to expect them to sweep. I'm just saying if they did. Um, I'm really hoping – got to hope for three out of four here. You know, a split would be acceptable, but you make up no ground. You're still five games back. You need to make up some sort of ground here against the Mets. It's a big series. Um, so, yeah, four games in New York. You need to make up some ground. And then they're going to have four games in Cincinnati to finish off the week on Thursday through Sunday. So, yeah, they'll be in Cincinnati for four Um Eight-game road trip coming up, and then when they come back next week, they'll have Monday off, and then it's the Mets again. So you got some big, big games coming up here against the Mets, and then you got the Reds sandwiched in between those two big Mets series. So you got some opportunities to make up some ground here. The Braves haven't played the Mets a ton this year, so you know we'll see what they look like, and maybe we'll have the Mets number, and we can handle them, and um, make our way back into this race because now is the time to do it. It's a big, big series, big games coming up, you know. Uh, this is where the Braves can really turn on the Jets and say, you know, we're done messing around. It's time to play our game. It's time to get back and take what's ours, which is the division. We own that. It is ours until um, until, <laughs> until it's said otherwise right now. But the Mets have looked good. Uh, they have lost two games in a row. So they're sputtering a bit. Only 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. So it's like they're setting the world on fire right now. But you do got Jacob DeGrom to tangle with. So hopefully the Braves can have some success against the best pitcher on the face of the earth.
So that'll do it for the Braves coverage, and that'll do it for the episode. Thank you all for listening. If you made it this far, I really appreciate it. Um, I will be back next Monday, hopefully with another optimistic podcast because the Hawks are up on the Milwaukee Bucks and the Braves swept the Mets because we all know that's exactly what's going to happen because that's what we do here in the A. I thank you all for listening, and I will see you all in the next one. Thank you.